Good afternoon, guys. Welcome to Emmett Audio. It's raining, so you'll probably hear the rain pinging off my umbrella. I'm a big fan of umbrellas. I really don't like raincoats. I don't like how raincoats make you feel like you're kind of out in the rain, whereas umbrellas feel like something you shelter under. At any rate, uh, I've recently um, gotten re-enamored or re-obsessed with something that uh, I have kind of a long history with, which is skin-on-frame boats. And the long history is this. Um, 18, no, how many years ago? 15 years ago, when I had graduated from college, um, I went to college on a school that was right on the Hudson River, um, and I decided that I was going to paddle down the Hudson River with a friend of mine to New York City, or as close as we could get, um, which we proceeded to do. It took us four days. And on one of those days, I was just paddling a little single-person canoe that I had that I'd kind of fixed up, but it's nothing special. Early model Kevlar, I replaced the thwarts with cool pieces of cedar, that sort of thing. But on one of those days, we happened to pass these two guys in kayaks, and one of them had the most amazing-looking kayak I'd ever seen. We got closer, and I asked him what the heck was going on with his kayak, and he said, it's skin-on-frame, and he described to me how there is this new-slash-old way of building boats that's based on how the Inuit built kayaks and umiaks, which were their row boats, their, their um, big open boats to hunt whales, how they made them out of wooden frames that were lashed together and then covered with a skin, which is fundamentally different from how the school, the boat building that I was involved in, big wooden ships, work. Because these skin-on-frame boats are designed to be flexible. Everything is lashed, um, not fastened with metal fasteners. And so the whole thing can flex, and they're incredibly strong. It's covered with ballistic nylon instead of... Um, instead of uh, skins these days, and covered with a two-part polyurethane that uh, makes them waterproof. And the nylon is incredibly strong. I've seen photos of people bashing these with hammers, jumping on them, dragging them over rocks, bashing them into things, and they just don't care. Um, and right then and there, 21-year-old me got obsessed with making these, and I happened that summer to find a book about making them in a bookstore in Olympia, Washington. And then we went up to Vancouver on this ship I was working on, and I happened to meet the guy who wrote the book. And I was so certain that I was going to build one of these boats. And then life went in other directions, and I just didn't. Um, but I've gotten back into daydreaming about it, recognizing that I probably need to build my shop, or that it would make more sense to build my shop first than to build one of these boats first. And at any rate, this is a very long-winded way of getting around to saying that that experience, let me back up. The other thing that happened is today I had one of my September workshops, and this one had only one person in it. Uh, and so at lunch, Lucy and I sort of talked about how I got into spoon carving and 
I found myself sort of talking about what spoon carving, what the scene was like five years ago as opposed to now. Six years ago, I guess, at this point. And, you know, and how how it was different and what's changed. And the point of telling you about the skin-on-frame kayak scene and about the story of telling Lucy about the spoon carving scene is it drives home to me two things. The first is how when you are just starting in something, you don't know the lay of the land. You don't know the history of who said what or did what or what the allegiances are or how things broke down over time or what, you know, I don't know, what drama happened and why the why things shook out the way they did, right? I, I know that for the spoon carving scene or much of it. I know none of that. Ooh, a pen on the ground. Um, I know none of that. Oh, very good-looking pen, too. A gel... No, it's a Bic. Gelosity. Red. Very nice. Um, I know none of that for the skin-on-frame kayak scene. And yet I can intuit that there must have been some of that just by what I sort of can pick up here and there. And that's just because that's how scenes are, and from little things that people mention, you can just tell that that stuff happens. Now, here is the whole point of this rambling setup. That both matters, and it also doesn't matter. It matters to know those things, because it just helps explain why things are the way they are. Like, I look at the kayak scene, the skin-on-frame kayak scene, and I wonder to myself, why is there no modern book that's been done more recently than 15 years ago from one of these amazing makers, these amazing boat builders, there's two that I have in mind, who could easily do an outstanding book. That would be so fantastic. That would be like a real refresher of the inspiration I felt from this book that was published, whatever, 17 years ago. It's a long time in a field as cool as this one to not have a fresh new book with good photographs, with all the amazing photographs being taken. Well, I'm sure there's reasons for that. Right? And in the spoon carving scene, I can tell you some of the reasons in the history of who wrote what and why and who didn't and why and all that. So it matters because it helps you understand a scene and understand why some resources exist and some don't and who could help you forward in your path and who you shouldn't ask for help. So it matters. And it also just doesn't matter. This is the this is the paradox, because it doesn't matter. I get to come into the skin-on-frame kayak scene not knowing any of the history, any of the drama. And I get to have my own relationship with skin-on-frame kayaks. I have my own story of how I came across them. I have my own relationship with it. And it doesn't have to have anything to do with whatever drama happens, whatever shook out, whatever allegiances there are. It has nothing to do with me. 
And so that's the thing I'm trying to wrap my head around and just remember about spoon carving. That when someone like Lucy asks, you know, what's, how did you come across spoon carving? And I start telling the story of sort of what happened and why and how things shook out that on one level, it's good. These stories matter. Why things are the way they are matters because it will shape what comes next. But I also get to remember, and I need to remember, that everyone coming at a particular scene has just as much right to write the story of that scene as anyone else. And I think that there is this... um, I think there is both a proprietariness that people feel about a scene, that if you are new to it, that you should shut up. And I think... Wow, so it's starting to rain more. Hope you guys can hear me. And I think that there's a way in which uh, people feel like they are not truly part of a scene unless they understand all of that or have an opinion about it or think they know it. And I think that that's just not true. I think everyone gets to have their own unique relationship with spoon carving and they don't, they're not required to know anything about what has happened or who people are. Everyone is on their own unique path and everyone is just as worthy as everyone else of being the hero of their own story and of shaping their own journey. And I think that that's really powerful to remember that because it's tempting when you get asked something like that to lay down a story, however true, that puts you more at the heart of things than you really deserve when you look at it from the perspective of someone else. And that is all. Now I'm going to go enjoy this pen. Thanks for listening, guys. Let me know what you think. Tell a friend about the podcast. All that good stuff.